spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Just another week of getting hooked on classics. It's episode 252 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Talked about comics last week. Going to be doing it a lot again this week. Feels good to be talking about comics a lot again. How about the Army of Darkness Bubba Hotep crossover that we never knew we wanted, but we can't imagine not having at this point because it's such a perfect combination. Going to be talking to writer Scott Duvall about bringing this together and all the fun that he had working on this book and you know fans' ex- expectations should be and a whole bunch of different stuff. There's a truckload of nerd news that came out actually early in the week that I have to go back and talk about. Yes, we will be giving a review of Doom Patrol from DC Universe came out today. You know, we released the shows on Friday, so technically it is out today. Get to get to all that and more. More comics, of course, up next is what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Jose Villarubia, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hopefully the tablet or laptop have a full charge, and maybe you don't need to charge the long box at all, because whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading, and let's activate that with Wonder Twins, number one from Wonder Comics, of course, the imprint from DC. It's written by Mark Russell, Steve Byrne on the art, and Dave Sharp on the letters. Now, I will preface this by saying... I never really thought we'd see the Wonder Twins get their own book again. Not that there isn't a fan base for the Wonder Twins, but it just seems like there are are a couple of characters that you'd normally just throw in there, right? Throw in another story, but let's see if it works this week because Zan and Jana were kind of sort of dropped on Earth and forced to adapt. Turns out that had a little bit to do with Superman, who actually brought them back from Exor at the request of their father. Now, I'm going to... Maybe have a couple of tiny little spoilers in this because I'm not sure I'll be able to say a whole lot otherwise. So just be prepared for that. Not going to be anything major that I won't spoil anything of the uh, big plot points or anything. Now, Zan is full of confidence and Jaina is not so much. She actually kind of seems a bit annoyed at life in general. But, I mean, we are talking about teenagers here too, so keep that in mind and I'll talk about that a little bit more here later but superman doesn't just bring them to earth he kind of does get them a job with the league in the hall of justice now you do see other justice league characters in this book you can imagine who would not necessarily be so thrilled with seeing these new young faces in the hall of justice i'll just leave it at that now an alert comes in and the team's dealing with a very very familiar Superman villain. I'm not going to spoil who that is for you, but I will tell you that Zan and Jaina are kind of forced to stay behind, and because of that, Zan actually suffers in kind of a really big, embarrassing moment at school. You know, he wants to be the man in the new school, all this confidence, and then kind of gets that shot down in a pretty big way. Now, this leads to some pretty entertaining stories later on in the book, by the way, from a couple of members of the Justice League. One in particular that I was just laughing hysterically over. Just the thought of it brings a smile to my face again. And you can only imagine probably who it is. The story itself, 
pretty entertaining. You can almost picture this happening in like a hilarious way. It almost feels like it could be a skit of some kind at some point. I'm kind of mad I didn't think about it first. So that tip of the cap to you on that one, Mark. Now, Jane is just trying to be useful. She wants to be helpful. She wants to find her place. She wants to find her path. It just doesn't seem to be working out quite right now. I'm not going to spoil anything, but the final page of this book is actually quite hilarious in a non... I don't think it was meant to be hilarious, but it was to me because it was just so clever at the same time. And and it uh, works out pretty well for Jaina, too. So let's go ahead and, and put it that way. Now, I will say this. If you're a purist, then you might not be a fan of this book. By the By that, I mean if you have to have Batman be Batman and Wonder Woman be Wonder Woman and Superman be Superman, you're probably not going to be too thrilled about what you see. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't want you to use this as a reason to not read this book. All I'm just saying is Justice League members are kind of out of character for the most part. And this book definitely leans towards an adult comedy series, albeit, you know, like maybe an animated one. And what seems to be super, super, super popular lately, that's adult animated series. Now I say adult, it's not that adult. I mean, this is definitely something a teenager could pick up and enjoy and you'd be fine. It's not like there's, you know, super adult theme things going on here, but I mean, it's definitely adult humor for the most part. Now, I will say that not all the jokes land, but that's, you know, that's going to happen anytime you're writing something that leans more towards comedy. But this was definitely more of an updated take on the Wonder Twins storyline and dynamic. This is not your 80s cartoon versions of the Wonder Twins. And I mean, I guess there's a, a way to do that satirically that, that would have worked too, but I actually like this updated take, bringing it more into the real and modern world of the Wonder Twins, but still making them aliens from another planet. And it really, really works out, and it doesn't. And it's not weird for anybody. It's not awkward, but there are a couple of funny things that happen because of them being aliens from another planet. I really wish I could spoil one of these, and it leads to kind of a funny nickname too, but I'm not going to do it. I will say that I wasn't blown away by the story. The art was super, super good, though. I mean, as far as Steve Byrne goes, the art was absolutely top-notch and, and just really popped off the page. But it made, but the fact that things were a little bit more updated and different is something that definitely has me intrigued. So I'm going to go ahead and throw this in as a pickup. I'll read another couple of issues and see where this thing goes. I'm thinking I'm going to end up adding this to my poll eventually, though. I just have a good feeling about it. Let's do something that isn't quite out just yet, but will be in about a week. And that's Incursion Number 1 from Valiant Entertainment. And it's Andy Diggle and Alex Peckendale on the writing. Doug Braithwaite on the art. Jose Valarubia on the colors. And Diego Rodriguez helping him out with that. Marshall Dillon on the letters. I think I got every name right this week. I'm patting myself on the back right now. Can't really see that because it's a podcast. But here we are. Okay, we're actually back with Galad the Eternal Warrior and Tama the Geomancer, one of my favorite pairings in Valiant in the last few years, actually. Now, before that, we actually encounter Impiatrix Virago, who is the new villain of the story, kind of travels to different worlds using the dead side like an Uber, actually, to sort of travel through these different worlds and dimensions and feed off of them and live forever. Now, again, a, a couple of minor spoilers here so we can kind of get through this review. What's more interesting is that she kind of travels with the young companion 
We don't really know a whole lot about or if she has any abilities or what her function is in this story exactly, but she does play a key role later on in the book. Now, Tam is really starting to grow up even more once this book starts. And we've kind of seen that already in previous Valiant stories that she's been in. She's not really that helpless kid anymore. But, I mean, Galad's, the Eternal Warrior's, Warrior's job is to protect the Geomancers over several lifetimes of his in there. So, I mean, it's not like he's just going to tuck tail and walk away. But, you know, she's sort of tired of hiding and, and he wants to keep her safe. And there's actually a really touching story that he tells about, you know, protecting the Geomancers that I thought, you know, you see Gilad in these very real moments and being the character that he is. And you know he has a soft spot for Tama, though. Just to see him out of context like that is always really, really cool. You just get to see down into his soul, and I love that. Now, something strange going on with the book of Geomancers, though, in this story. And, I mean, this book is called Incursion for a reason, and that's almost like, it was almost like a warning sign of what was coming. And for some reason, Impetrix is zeroed in on Tama. We don't know why. I mean, maybe it seems obvious because of what she can do, but maybe it isn't quite because we don't really get specifics into that. So that's one of the intriguing things about this story. Now, this story does show us that there's more to the dead side than you would think. This is more than where just souls go to just wander for eternity sort of thing. There's a very interesting aspect to the dead spot, dead side that's being explored here, which I do kind of like that. And we've seen many a character traits around there before, but this was a little bit different. It's really hard not to love the dynamic between Galad and Tama. Still one of my favorites. This book does nothing to change my mind on that. The story that he tells, again, really touching, really out of character for him. And you have to have characters with that kind of strength to have that vulnerability. And I love that Valiant's not afraid to show that. And, and the writing team wasn't afraid to do that here as well. Doug Braithwaite, another amazing job art-wise. And it, it, there, were, there were times where it almost felt like I was reading an old newsprint style art. It was really, really cool, but it, it shifted back and forth between this just deep, detailed, close-up art and a newsprint style art from maybe, say, the, the, the 80s or maybe even a little bit of the 70s, but it just felt so so new at the same time. I don't know how you can combine those two like that, but Doug does a fantastic job of doing it, especially when the changing of the worlds and the way, and give the coloring team a shout out for that as well, giving each world kind of its own hue and its its own look. So, you know, the reader can keep track of where they're at and what's going on here. The book does get a bit of a slow start, I will say that, but it does end on a really, really good cliffhanger, especially for a first issue. This is something you wouldn't normally get in a first issue, but again, a limited series, maybe they feel like they want to book it through this a little bit. For that reason, I'm giving this a poll just because I love these characters. And the story is definitely good. And this is something I know I'm going to want to read. If you're a fan of the previous stories with Eternal Warrior and the Geomancer, you're going to love this one as well. It's going to do it for what we're reading. I'm next going to jump into a spoiler-ish review of the Doom Patrol from DC Universe. The first episode review is next on the Dan and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Ryan from Constantine City of Demons, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to talk about a bunch of losers, but is the show a winner? That's right. It's Doom Patrol Episode 1, which premieres on, which is premiered already on DC Universe, so you can get a chance to watch the first episode right now. As a matter of fact, this review, though, going to be 
Maybe a few little spoilers, but not a ton because I don't really want to give a whole lot away. The episode just came out. I mean, maybe you've already watched it, but I'm not going to go ahead and spoil a whole lot of this for you. Now, I will say that the entire thing is narrated by Alan Tudyk, and that makes so much of this episode for me. They break the fourth wall a little bit. It's just great. We actually get to start out with him and how he kind of becomes Mr. Nobody, and he's a low-level villain, and then he makes a choice to become something more, and then we don't see him again until later on in the episode. Now, this one really does focus on Cliff and Roboman, which is Brendan Fraser's character, and Larry Negative Man, which is Matt Bomer's character. Now, in case you're not familiar with the Doom Patrol and what's going on here, basically you have Chief, who sort of brings people with abilities and who might not necessarily be accepted by society. He actually helps sort of fix them up if that's what's needed. We also get to see him, you know, give them a shelter, sort of a place that they can go and, you know, just not have to be judged by society. It's it's like almost like a safe space. If we're being completely honest and just throwing it out there, it is very much a safe space. Now, with, with Robot Man, we really get to see a lot of Cliff's backstory. Of course, you know, he was a stock car driver. And what we get to find out is that he was not a very good guy. Uh, his wife wasn't much better. They had a very toxic relationship. They also had a daughter who he loved. She was kind of, it almost seemed like she was being painted as the absentee parent. They had a nanny. There's a lot that goes on with Cliff and the nanny. I'll just put it that way. And we get to see quite a bit more than I kind of expected between the the two of them. And I'll just throw that, that out there. Now, he doesn't remember quite too much about what happened to him. And, and Chief's giving him his version of the story. I say his version because that comes up a little bit later on in the episode. It does eventually start coming back to him, though, once he starts to kind of, I don't want to say come online because he's Robot Man, and that seems a little cliche. But once things start working a little bit better for him, and he starts sort of rehabilitating himself to sort of kind of be him again, that's the way they described it, he starts to get his memories back a little bit. Needless to say, he's not too much of a fan of what he remembers. But he keeps a sense of humor, and, and I'll get to that here in a second. Now, as far as Larry's backstory is concerned with, with, with Negative Man, hot shot pilot sort of thing, something goes wrong with an experimental flight, and, you know, tragedy certainly ensues there. It's not really a tra- as tragic of a story as Cliff's, but at the same time, I mean, he does leave somebody behind. That much I can tell you. I'm just going to go ahead and leave it at that because there is a little bit of a spoiler that I don't want to give away because I want you to have the same reaction I did when I saw it for the first time, too. But And, and he's been there for decades, too, by the way, as has Rita, which we get a little bit of her backstory as, as Elastigirl, but we don't really get a whole... I mean, the focus is not really on her. It's on basically Cliff... And and to a lesser extent, Larry, I mean, this is a cliff-heavy episode because he's the newer one that's coming to the Doom Patrol, who, by the way, is not the Doom Patrol yet. We haven't really actually coined that phrase. Now, I will say that just before Chief's supposed to go on this little bit of an assignment that he's going to be on, we meet the wild card in this entire thing, and that is Crazy Jane. And I will say right off the bat, I'm since I'm getting to what I thought of each individual performance here, Diane Guerrero absolutely kills it in this episode. If you don't know a whole lot about Crazy Jane, she has a ton of different personalities. Each personality 
has their own different set of abilities. And she is a lightning bolt on this show. Now, she's the one that kind of convinces them to leave the house for the first time in forever. You can only imagine how that went. And now, of course, they're exposed. But seeing each personality and, and the levels that it jumps to and the range that she has to have when playing this character, I know that sounds very, you know, Oscar-y, you know, film critic-y guy speak, but that's, I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. I mean, the way that she has to play all of these different levels of herself is pretty incredible. And you see a little bit of, I'm not sure I want to call it a bond just yet, forming between her and Robot Man. It's very, very interesting how that all kind of comes together when they meet each other for the first time. Now, once they, I mean, Chief's pissed, by the way, that they left the house. It's almost like, you know, when Dad catches you. This is actually part of the monologue, too, by Alan Tudyk, who's narrating this episode. It's kind of part of it. You know, like when Dad comes home, you had a party that you thought you got away with, and you really, really didn't because everybody knows about it now. That's sort of how it felt. And now, basically, there's two decisions you need to make. You need to book it and find another sanctuary, or you could stay, fight, and protect the town. I'm not going to tell you exactly what decision they make there or who decides what or anything like that. But this is sort of where Mr. Nobody comes in, and we actually get to see Alan Tudyk as Mr. Nobody in this episode. It's trippy, it's cool, it's weird. It's funny because the relationship between him and Chief, it's almost like an oddball version of the dynamic between Professor X and Magneto and X-Men because they each have their own feelings about the quote-unquote team that's been formed here and who the Chief's been taking care of. Now, overall, this show is so weird in such a wonderful way. It's so different in its own unique way, too. It's hilarious when it wants to be. It's off the cuff. It's also gut-wrenching a couple of very specific times that very much have to do with Brendan Fraser's character of Cliff and Robot Man. And Brendan Fraser steals the friggin' show in this first episode. There were a lot of good performances, but Brendan Fraser really was given an opportunity to do something that you don't see a whole lot from Brendan Fraser in his characters. And again, you want to talk about somebody that had a lot of range. He certainly did. And man, was he good. He was funny. He brought out so many emotions when when you find out what's going on with his family. It was just so, so amazing. Probably one of the best performances from Brendan Fraser, I think, in a while. Now, it almost feels like everyone was set free when they were working on this show. And they just were, they, somebody just let them do what they wanted to do while they're a part of the show. It just seems like everybody was so free and unrestricted while doing this. The narration by Alan Tudyk was that way, and I loved it. Breaking the fourth wall was always fun. It just feels like everyone went out and did their job free of any pressure, restraints, and it absolutely shows. This show was so freeing in so many ways that unconventional, yes, but I think that you will love it for that very fact that is unconventional but still has a direction, tells you where it's going to go and how things are, at least initially anyway, going to shake out. It has a central purpose, but the central purpose is found within those misfit characters themselves. And I know maybe you're thinking, oh, is it Guardians of the Galaxy-ish? It's really not at all. It might seem similar to that or Suicide Squad. Trust me, 
It's not. There's more. There's. It goes a little bit deeper than that and takes a much different and sharper angle that I really think you're going to love. So if you haven't watched Doom Patrol Episode 1 on DC Universe yet, do that. This is one of those shows you'd almost describe, subscribe to the service just for this show. That's how freaking good it is. I can tell you that right now. And you get to watch Titans as well, so there's nothing wrong with that either. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of the first episode of Doom Patrol from DC Universe. Up next, there was plenty of nerd news and a lot of it happening earlier in the week, actually. So let's start with that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Sobolov, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Sounds like Marvel's not finished with streaming services after all because it's time for nerd news. And I'll just say this. The Monday before Valentine's Day was a great day for nerd news. So I know it's been a little bit. I I want to talk about this stuff anyway because this is important. Marvel announces four new adult animation series in a partnership with Hulu, almost a giant middle finger to Netflix, kind of, if you think about it. Starting, you know, the going, the Netflix is canceling all of the Marvel series. Marvel's kind of saying they're going to go in a different direction. And then they do this with Hulu. So let's unpack some of these, shall we? Marvel's MODOK is going to be done by Jordan Blum and Patton Oswald, actually. And of course, it centers around the supervillain who's going to struggle to maintain control of his evil organization and his demanding family. This seems like it could be really, really funny. And I'm really, really hoping it's it's just so satirical and out there, almost like an American dad type of situation. That that was the first thing that popped into my head for some reason when I was thinking about this. And then there's the, the, the next one up on the list is Marvel's Hit Monkey, basically a wronged Japanese snow monkey mentored by the ghost of an American assassin. And he cuts his swath through Tokyo's underworld in the dark, Darkly cinematic and brutally funny revenge saga. This is from the press release, by the way. And that's going to be written by Josh Gordon and Will Speck. So that could certainly be interesting, too. This is the one that seems to have people talking. And that is Marvel's Tigra and Dazzler show. It's going to be about two woke superheroes and best friends that fight for recognition among powered people who make up the 8 million stories in Los Angeles. Now, this will be done by Erica Rivanoja and Chelsea Handler. By the way, Jeff Loeb's going to be involved in all of these too, by the way, with executive producing along with these writing teams. So now I, I want to just say this because, you know, there's talk about how, well, oh, the, well, Dazzler, is that going to be the first, you know, X-Men character in the MCU? There's been no real confirmation that this is actually going to be connected to the MCU, first of all. Second of all, I'm of the mind that animation never really counts until you see it brought into live action, kind of like the Arrowverse did, right? Where they were running like the Ray animated series. You had Vixen before that. And it wasn't until it seemed like they were connected because some of the characters from some of those shows were on there. But, and then when we finally saw them in live action, it was like, okay, okay yeah, so it is connected there in the Arrowverse. So until any of these characters from these shows shows up in a live action version, or you see one of the live action characters show up on one of these animated series, I think you take this with a grain of salt for now. But I, I mean, Dazzler's a very popular character, X-Men or no, so I think this will be a very popular one. But speaking of popular, yep, Howard the Duck, yep, Marvel's Howard the Duck is going to be coming as well. Kevin Smith going to be attached to this along with Dave Willis. And now basically, I mean, Howard the Duck is Howard the Duck. Do I even really need to 
explain this. I don't think that I really do, so I'm not going to. Now, this is all going to culminate in Marvel's The Offenders. So, yeah, it's going to be Defenders, but with these characters, and they're going to have to team up and figure out how to work together and save the world. Was I not just talking about adult animation last week? Because if I wasn't, then I, I should have been. Because it seems like I've been talking about it a lot lately, though. You know, talking about the Star Trek animated series, and we find out this week they're going in the other direction. They're actually going to do a kids series on Nickelodeon, of all places. But it's just adult animation. There's a huge boom for this right now. Netflix figured this out, too, by the way, because they're doing a lot of it as well. But there's just a huge, huge market for this. And, I mean, think about it. Adult animation... You, you could trace The Simpsons back 30-plus years now, and that's been working. you got 20-plus years for Family Guy. I mean, I know that not everything has worked, but at the same time, there's a gold mine here waiting to be tapped, and even if half of these shows succeed, Hulu wins, and Netflix, and, and excuse me, and Marvel wins. So why not do this? And eventually, there's nothing, nothing saying that you couldn't move these to Disney+. Plus. If you wanted to at some point, or maybe the, at, at that point, Marvel decides to have their own streaming service and, you know, Disney branches that off kind of like DC did with DC Universe and Marvel has their own. There's no saying that you can't do that either. So, the, again, very low risk and high reward here. And and I think that Marvel expanding their characters into animation is something I've been waiting for them to do for a long time. I know that they've done a great job with that with Marvel Rising, but now kind of drifting away from Disney XD a little bit and getting a little bit more adult, I think is something that they probably should have done a while ago, but I'm glad they're going to be doing it now and a lot of star power that's involved in this as well. Speaking of animation, something I never would have thought we would have gotten in a million years, but we are going to get it, and that is Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You read the comic. Now the animated movie is coming. This according to Sci-Fi Wire. Warner Brothers Animation and Warner Brothers Home Entertainment going to team up with DC Entertainment and Nickelodeon for this. Yes, this will be based on the comic book miniseries from James Tinnon IV and Freddie Williams II. So if you read that arc, I, I think it was about 2015 was when, the, when that came out, that first arc. So it will be based on that. Here's something interesting is that Troy Baker is going to be Batman and Joker. In this, and I had a long conversation with Troy at San Diego Comic Con this past year about how he was, you know, one of the few guys to play Batman and Joker, and you know, comparing, you know, those psyches, kind of going, comparing those two, and now he's going to play them both in the same project. So I can't wait to talk to him again about this. Going to have to get him back in the show. Going to try and hit some of the main cast here. You've got Darren Chris is going to be playing Raphael. We've got Kyle Mooney as Michelangelo. Baron Vaughn as Donatello. Eric Bauza as Leonardo. And then you have, of course, Tara Strong. going to be playing Harley and Poison Ivy, both. Uh, Cass Anvar from The Expanse, by the way, going to be Ray Al Ghul. I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, this is, you're not going to have to wait long for this because this is actually going to be available on 4K, Blu-ray, and digital coming up this spring. Now, if you didn't read the comic, first of all, I recommend the graphic novel. It was very good, very entertaining. Just the way that these two sets of characters played off of each other. And it's basically, if I remember correctly, because it's been a while since I've read it, and I'm definitely going to reread it before I watch the animated movie, is that Donatello ends up in Batman's world, and then Batman's rogues gallery kind of gets pulled into the world 
of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if I remember correctly. It could have been there could be a variation therein. So if you want to wiki that and blast me on Twitter for not remembering, go right ahead. But it was highly entertaining on the page. I can only imagine it's gonna be just as entertaining on the screen. And I mean with the talented cast involved, I mean, how can you even possibly doubt that? And don't forget there was another volume to this they came out. So if this is successful, and I mean, why would it not be? Two of the most popular character brands of all time combining into one movie that as a kid I never thought I would get in a million years. I mean, I was a little bit older when Turtles came out, but you get my point. But I mean, you, I mean, we used to see like Batman teaming up with the Scooby-Doo gang, and I realized this, these were different things, but these things happened back in the day, so why can't they happen now? But these two properties were so big on their own, you never really thought that they would cross paths. I'm so glad that we're actually going to be getting this. And I and I already know it's going to be good because I know the story. So there's, again, this is a low risk, high reward for me because you're going to get kids that love Batman and kids that love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is a win-win all around. Now, I'm going to turn my attention to something that's a little bit shaky ground here. I'm going to tiptoe around this a little bit and I'll tell you why here in just a second. And the story basically is that the Red Sonja movie adaptation is on hold, and this story coming from The Hollywood Reporter. Now, let's get to the facts as we know them so far, and that is that Millennium Films is making the decision to put this movie on hold based on the misconduct and rape allegations against director Brian Singer that were brought about in The Atlantic recently. Now, that The Hollywood Reporter goes on to say that the film's not on the slate anymore, and it's actually not being shopped around right now. And now, remember, in, a, in another statement to The Hollywood Reporter, Millennium actually called the accusations against Singer fake news, in a manner of speaking, and, you know, they walked that back in another statement after that. But here's the deal. And first of all, I am in no way commenting on an ongoing investigation. And, and I think that any investigation you hear from the victims, the, the, the decisions are based on the evidence that is presented in these cases And, you know, there's guilty or not guilty. Okay, so let's just put that out there right now. This is not me saying that I think Brian Singer did it or I think Brian Singer didn't do it. Once I think that the evidence will play itself out and we will find out whether or not he did this. And I think that based on the accusations that I've seen, they should be taken very seriously from these victims. So I'm not here to make a statement on whether or not I think he's guilty or I think he's not. I'm going to make a statement basically on the project itself, and that's... You have to really think that Brian Singer's your guy for this in order to keep him on this project and put it on the back burner and delay it. I mean, you're talking about like an 80 to $100 million budget investment in a property that could really, really succeed. I mean, a strong female character, you're coming off the heels of Wonder Woman doing so well. And I'm not saying that Red Sonja is Wonder Woman, but there's certainly similar enough themes there that you could, you know, kind of get some of the get some of the people that loved Wonder Woman to go to a Red Sonja movie that might not know anything about the character. And that's the other thing. Not everybody knows about Red Sonja. Yeah, there was a movie back way back when, but, you know, we're talking about the here and now. And Red Sonja, I just reviewed a Red Sonja comic recently. This is a good character that has a lot of range and a lot of different stories that you can tell. You're potentially sitting on a gold mine here. And, I mean, Dynamite has always done very well with their Red Sonja books, so I don't know why Millennium is just holding on with both hands to Brian Singer to, to do this. It's like there's no other 
directors that could possibly helm this project that would be any better. And, and again, this is my personal opinion. It's not like Singer's done a knockdown, drag out great job with female characters in the past. It's not like he is the go to director for making sure that you get a good adaptation of female characters. So come on, don't don't try and sit here and tell me that he is the absolute only and best person for this job. So I, I mean, the X Men movies alone, some of them were good, some of them were not. But I'm but I don't think that he did a super job propping up the female characters in any of any of his movies that I've seen anyway. And and. You know, saying that he's a name, okay, I understand that maybe you want to get a name for some of your project. Is this really the name that you want right now? I mean, like I said, guilty or not guilty is immaterial. There's there's some bad press going on with this guy right now. And if you want this movie to actually happen at some point, then you might want to consider moving on a little bit. Especially since you're going to get to the point where if you wait too long, it's too late. And you're, you're not doing this at the most advantageous time. And I'm not a Hollywood executive. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm ignorant. And I don't know how the business works. But all I know is, is that it seems like now is the time to strike while the iron is hot on a Red Sonja movie. And the reason you're choosing not to do it isn't a very good one. And you're trying to tell us, the fans, and the movie going public that this is the guy that is the absolute best and only choice for this job when I could probably throw a rock and hit a few that could do just as well, if not better than Brian Singer could for the Red Sonja movie. And I mean, at, just keep adding me names, at me names on Twitter, at down and nerdy seven, five, seven, just send in any name as a director that you would think would be better than Brian Singer in the Red Sonja movie. Or if you're listening on SoundCloud, you can throw the comment in there as well, because I'm telling you right now, I don't think that this is your only guy for this, and it baffles me that they're holding this movie up because of this guy. I just don't get it. Moving on to something that I'm way more excited about at this juncture because it's actually going to be happening. That is Last Sons of America being adapted to a feature film from Netflix, this according to Deadline. If the title sounds familiar, it's a book that we've reviewed on the show from Boom Studios. Philip Kennedy Johnson, who you heard me talk to at San Diego Comic-Con, we actually talked about Last Sons of America a little bit. Also, it was co-created by Matthew Dow Smith, who did the art on the book. First of all, before I, I even get to the details, so happy for Philip Kennedy Johnson for, for this adaptation. I, I talked to him about it a little bit. And I, you know, We were talking about how this one, this one especially deserved to be adapted. He was very coy, too. He didn't want to say anything. I'm sure that he knew at that point there might have been discussions. He didn't let it slip. He didn't tell me anything. Even off the record, didn't tell me. Wouldn't spill. So good for him. I'm just so happy for the guy. He's such a genuinely great guy. If you don't know Philip Kennedy Johnson's work, he's such a genuinely great guy, and there's a lot of great guys in comics and a lot of great women and a lot of great creators. This guy, there's just something about him. He's such a talented writer. He's such a talented creator. Great guy. Great family man. I'm so, so happy for Philip Kennedy Johnson. Just happens to be a damn good story, too. So let's get to the meat of this, shall we? It is going to be on Netflix. Matt Reeves is going to be at the helm for this. Josh Mond is going to direct. They already have Peter Dinklage signed on to play Julian, which is absolutely perfect for so many reasons. And Julian is a very vitally important character in this story, especially towards the end. Not going to skip ahead too much. Certainly not going to spoil anything if you haven't read the book or anything like that. But I will tell you, 
that it's basically a story of he and his brother Jackie in a time where basically Americans are no longer able to conceive children. So what happens then? Children are a worldwide commodity now at this point around the world. So Jackie and Julie and her brothers, they're basically adoption agents in Colombia who kind of make deals for with people to give their kids a better life in America with American families. So yeah, it it's a little bit of a, you know, kids are being traded on on a not not a black market but an, but just a market itself. So now here's the thing though, Jackie makes a huge mistake and this is kind of where the story sort of takes off. That's all I can really tell you without without spoiling any aspects of the story. It gets intense. It's such a good story. It's a it's an amazing read. It was one of those books where I had no trouble powering through any issue of it. It was the first book at the top of my pull box and pull sheet when I was reading. Had to read that one first. It was just such an intense story. And it was it was scary and sad and it was uplifting. There was so many different ranges of emotions in this story. And I gotta tell you, just off the top of my head, and I'm not saying that he's the only dude that could play Jackie, but I'm looking at Ryan Gosling as Julian as as Jackie right now. We've got Peter Dinklage as Julian, Ryan Gosling as Jackie. I think that could work out really well. There's a ton of great actors that could play Jackie, and, and but Ryan Gosling was the first name that popped into my head. So if there's a budget for that for Netflix, and why wouldn't Netflix do that? And, and why wouldn't Ryan Gosling do that, right? I mean, it's it just seems like he would be a good fit for the part. That's all I'm saying. And I, I, Maybe that happens and maybe it doesn't. But, I mean, I think he'd be a good choice. It's just such a good story and a, and a great pickup by Netflix, and I'm glad that this book, after so many years, is finally going to get the adaptation that it deserves. Quickly, one more for you. The Hollywood Reporter reported that Valiant is going to bring back Psylords. If you remember that from the 90s, it kind of had a really cult following from fans, and Fred Van Lint is going to be doing the writing. Renato Judas is going to be doing the art for the book. It's going to release in June, too, by the way. Now, if you don't know the story, it follows a group of humans who find themselves in an unfamiliar environment with two different missions that may be at odds with one another. It's also one of those deals where, you know, a crew kind of gets almost thrown together. they got to learn to get along, and they've got to learn to, you know, work together sort of thing. Now, Vinland actually talked to The Hollywood Reporter a bit, and he said the book will be different from the original version, but there will be Easter eggs in there. Of course, you don't want to make the exact same thing, right? You want to make it a little bit different no matter what. Now, this is kind of science fiction prison break story. He act, he also compared it to Lost a little bit. This just sounds like a freaking blast. I am not all that familiar with Psylords. I will say that right now. But when I was reading more on it, this is definitely one of those that I'm going to go back and read the original version to see where I'm at with this because it just seems like such a cool concept. And I'm, it's one of those where you know how you hear about a book that you didn't really know about and you say, why wasn't I reading this before? Or why haven't I been reading this all along? That's how I felt when I read about this Psylords book coming back. So I this is one that I'm going to go back and grab and see what's up with that because I'm really looking forward to this. And it's just another... And a long line of, in a new line of books that are coming from Valiant. Just talked about one this week with Incursion. There's way more where that came from. So, yeah, I'd be looking for a lot more Valiant reviews coming up here on the podcast and at downandnerdypodcast.com as well. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, speaking of comics, we're going to be talking about the Army of Darkness Bubba Hotep crossover with writer Scott Duvall. That's up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to me on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You might have read our review at downandnerdypodcast.com. Why not talk about it even more? Because when you've got Army of Darkness and Bubba Hotep coming together, we got to cover it more than that, right? From Dynamite and IDW. How about writer Scott Duvall joining us this week? This week. Scott, what's up, man? Hey, James. How are you? Doing great. Now, I mean, this is... This is far from the first time Dynamite has printed up two classic characters together. What is it about the publisher, though, that just makes these crossovers so successful? I don't know. Um, particularly with Army of Darkness, it seems like they've matched Ash up with uh, just so many characters at this point. Really iconic ones, ones that really make sense, and other ones that kind of come out of left field. But I just thought that this needed to happen because it seemed so obvious to me. Uh, I was really surprised that hadn't been done yet so i was really honored to be able to put these characters together for the first time and it's it was just surprised me and it's never been done before honestly i mean i when i saw this i'm like how is this how has nobody thought of this yet that's what i thought well at least you got the honor of doing it yourself so now you're the one that's gonna people are gonna go oh that's the guy that did that that's always a fun thing to be right yeah yeah i think so especially with these crossovers um you know it's just i feel like every comic creator probably aspires to do one or you know they sort of had their their dream team up and this was mine uh for for several years now i really wanted to do this and i'm really stoked and and still kind of pinching myself that i actually got the opportunity to do it so yeah it's it's here now definitely now i think fans kind of take for granted sometimes honestly that a lot of things have to be done for you know two publishers to come together and for stories to come together like this. Can you take us behind the curtain a little bit? What was the process like for this book? I have to admit, this this was kind of uh, an, an or, unordinary way of things happening. This is not usually how these crossovers come together. Usually, it's a publisher or you know editorially driven where they sort of think, hey, we've got these two properties we work with that seem like they would go together really well, or they're talking to maybe another publisher who has another license that they're like, yeah, I think we, we could match up, you know, Ninja Turtles with Batman or whatever the case may be. And this was just a case where, yeah, I kind of was talking to both publishers and I, I said, I think that we should do this. I had actually approached Dynamite about it a while ago and they liked the idea, but they said, this is great, but we don't have the Bubba Hotep license. And so fast forward to now and IDW does so it was just a matter of kind of putting them in conversation, and it turns out they like the idea, so here we are. And we're glad that you are here, as a matter of fact. Now, you actually did a signing on New Comic Book Day when the book actually came out. What was it like kind of meeting the fans for the first time since the book's been out? And did you actually meet anyone who was being introduced to these characters for the first time? That was really a cool experience, yeah. It was, it was fun to just kind of get some you know, face-to-face interaction with a few people who had heard about the signing, and they're interested in the properties, and them seeing them come together. So yeah, I just love talking to people about this stuff. And I've been seeing yeah a lot of that kind of chatter on Twitter as well. People really excited about bringing these two properties together and, and seeing that, you know, how that would work, you know, how these two characters would interact. That was something I was really particularly interested in. So yeah, it's just been overwhelmingly positive and cool. Just, you know, the fan reaction that I've been seeing online has just been um, yeah, really humbling. Speaking of Twitter reactions, I think it was not too long ago that Bruce Campbell found out about this book, and he <laughs> had a little bit of a reaction there. Have we gotten an updated reaction from him yet? Uh, no, I have not seen him react to it ever since then. But yeah, that was that was kind of cool. <laughs> well, weird... we're gonna we're gonna ask. Damn it, we're gonna find out. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now let's fast forward a little bit to when to when Ash actually meets the King for the first time in this first issue. I thought that the like the rumble slash trivia session was really hilarious. So how fun was it to put that thing together? That was really yeah, that was cool. I, I wanted to try and you know, inject a little Elvis trivia in there for the hardcores just to, you know, play with that. You know, I, I love throwing Easter eggs in, into anything I do. And so that was, yeah, and kind of in tribute to, you know, some of the hardcore Elvis fans that I know. And it just seemed appropriate to, you know, have them throw down, you know, see who, you know, wh- how Ash matches up with his idol uh, and just being able to you know, have them converse and do that sort of like, you know, as they call it, uh, Elvis trivia off uh, while they're doing it. Just, I don't know, just kind of came together. And I have to throw credit to the artist Vincenzo for uh, Vincenzo Federici, who was a discovery to me. They uh, brought him on this book and I just, I loved his work immediately. And he really makes that scene work. Like his frenetic energy that he brings to every action scene just blows me away every time. I, get his pages back and I'm just like, you know, so like, like any fan just salivating over it. Like, this is so cool. I can't believe this is real. So I've got it. Yeah. I got to throw credit to, to him and the rest of the creative team. Uh, Michelle Monte, he's our colorist, uh, Taylor Esposito. He's our letter. Um, yeah. Everybody's just bringing their a game on this. Cause we're all just such passionate fans of the material. You know, in, in saying that Scott, I mean, this would it would have been really easy to throw just a ton of Easter eggs in there or fill the book with catchphrases and puns and stuff like that. And there is some of that in there, which I love. But yeah. you really picked your moments really well. How much did you have to kind of restrain yourself, especially in the first issue when you've, you've got this in your hands for the first time? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you asked about that because that's something that I'm really passionate about. I want the characters to that that's really important to me they have to sound like the characters it has to capture their voices so i i took a lot of time in developing the pitch um while i was doing that i was you know watching the movies on repeat just getting their voices in my head and yeah just making sure that it it fit you know not just repeating lines that we've heard before because they all have their iconic catchphrases yeah. but you know, coming up with original lines of my own that sound natural coming out of these characters' mouths. Um, you know, I wanted to kind of find that fine balance between, you know, paying tribute and honoring what came before, but also adding something new to the mix, you know, making this feel like something, you know, entirely original while also feeling like it fits right in with everything that came before. So, yeah, there have been times when I I watch sequels or play games that you know they they're they're following a long line of you know games or, that came before or, or movies that there's this history to it right and they want to want it to feel like that material but they do almost too good of a job where it just feels like it's retreading and they're not really adding anything new to it so I really wanted to avoid that absolutely I did read this in Elvis voice. Too, by the way, when when it was Bubba's turn to talk, I, I was reading in an Elvis voice. If it makes you feel any better, it absolutely worked. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was definitely one of the funnest things for me. Is I just I love writing dialogue and being able to interpret how I thought that these two characters would interact and just like yeah, you know, just the interplay between them had to feel right. And and also just kind of keeping in mind that Bruce Campbell is tied to both of these. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of yeah throw you know a little bit 
of a tribute in there to him as well, which you'll you'll see later on. Just you know, it's a little fan servicey, but I think that fans will love it. Nice talking to writer Scott Duvall, of course, of Army of Darkness, Bubba Hotep number one from Dynamite, which is in stores right now and online too, by the way. So you know, you usually hear Elvis talk about not stepping on his blue suede shoes, Scott. But I mean, this time we had. The suit that was more to be focused on. So, I mean, I'm just starting to wonder, how much would the dry cleaning bill be, do you think, uh, he'll need to have to get that undead mummy stink off of the Pharaoh suit if he gets, if he gets it back? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if Elvis has, has that kind of coin. <laughs> um, You'd think so, right? But, I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of nasty. Talk about your villain a little bit. Talk about this mummy. Hopefully people are familiar with him from the movie. If not, if you're just going into this fresh, yeah, he's, he's got an interesting style about him. You know, he, he is an Egyptian mummy, but he fell off a truck in you know East Texas when they were transporting him. And so he's kind of taken on a little bit of a, a cowboy attire. And so, you know, if you've seen the first movie, you know, this, I'm not really spoiling anything, but he you know, as we know, mummies move slow. So he thought uh, a nursing home might be a good sort of like praying grounds for him to, to be able to, you know, chase after slow moving elderly people and steal their souls. And so he, he sucks their souls and kind of makes sense that he would then combine forces with the evil force from the Evil Dead series who, you know, also likes to swallow souls. So we've got kind of this evil Bubba Hotep. He's, he's been uh, he's a deadite version of of this mummy character, which is awesome. And now we get a little bit of time travel in, into the mix as well. How is that going to kind of factor into future issues? Obviously, don't spoil anything. But but how cool are things about to get, and how authentic are things about to get at the same time for the time period that they're going to? I won't go too far into it, but I, I will I will tell you this because I did tease this quite a bit um, in in promoting it uh, that there would be time travel, and that's to say we have I don't know. If, People are familiar with the IDW series that came out recently. It was called Bubba Hotep and the um, Cosmic uh, Bloodsuckers. Yep. And that was basically exploring an earlier adventure of Elvis's. So we kind of see him more in his prime. And so that inspired me to want to also kind of expand on this uh, version of Elvis that Joe Lansdale has kind of brilliantly realized and really added a little bit, a, a lot more backstory, you know, to this character with, with that prequel. And so what we're going to see is Ash is going to actually transport back in time to 70s Vegas. And and that's not really any new material. That's all been put out there. So, right. um, yeah, we're not only going to see Ash interact with an, with an older, wiser Elvis, but also kind of a younger, more in his prime 70s vegas style elvis so that's gonna happen and issue two now it's there's just so much cool factor that goes into a story like this and but we are still talking about you know a little bit older characters i won't say old characters but older characters and the reason i phrase it that way scott is that how do you kind of sell this story to millennials because i think you really could but how do you kind of bridge that gap so certainly we've got a built-in audience for these characters just because you know, for me, as I, I can speak for myself in that I I've known about Army of Darkness since it came out on VHS. That's totally. when I first yeah, me too. It. So there, yeah, there, yeah. we have that going for us. Yeah, yeah, that was my entry point into the whole series. I I, I actually discovered the Evil Dead trilogy in reverse, um, and so that was kind of an interesting way to to view them. But yeah, so Army of Darkness for that reason will always hold a special place in my heart. 
And then I was an early adopter of Bubba Hotep um, just because I was such a fan of Campbell's. And so uh, as soon as that hit DVD, I just bought that sight unseen. And so that I've been a fan of that ever since that came out. And so, yeah, it was sort of my fandom of those two things, which is how this this all came to be. Um, but that's that's speaking for me. For for somebody who's coming to this um, with you know fresh eyes, maybe they're not as familiar with Army of Darkness or Bubba Hotep, and and I know there are people out there like this because I've seen them um, tweeting about this, and they're they're saying, oh, this you know this yep. sounds cool, but I've not seen the movies. And yeah, I just want to let people know that. If you if you like mummies, if you like undead things, if you like horror comedy, then yeah, you can dive right in with this issue. It doesn't matter if you've seen those movies before or not. I think that it would only enhance your experience just because then mm-hmm. you can really hear the characters' voices in your head when you read it. But yeah, I, I always try to design anything that I write for new readers, you know, just where you can jump right right into it, not knowing anything. And hopefully, if I've done my job correctly, then um, we can kind of, you know, fill in a little backstory along the way without force feeding it to you. Absolutely. Great jumping on point for new readers, too. I can definitely add to that. I can attest to that for sure. Now, Scott, before I let you go, now that you've kind of gotten a taste of doing a crossover like this, is there another crossover? And I mean, the sky's the limit for you here, man, if you could pick anything. Is there any other crossover that you would love to work on in the future? I, there is one, and I, I'll, I'll tell you about this just because I know it's not never going to happen. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, my pie in the sky, sort of like, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Because this was something that I never expected. This was sort of my dream big, you know, and see if I can make this crossover happen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this. But I think this next one is going a little too far. I was thinking just because. I grew up on Adam West Batman. Um, that was my first introduction to the character. So Batman 66 has always been you know, a huge factor in my just upbringing. And, Absolutely. And yeah, that's really where it all began. And with all these Batman 66 comic book crossovers, I was kind of thinking, okay, what would be cool that they haven't done before? And I remember Adam West used to always say the three Bs of the 60s were Beatles, Batman, and Bond. And so how cool would that be to get? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like a Sean Connery era, like Thunderball, you know, because there was actually a, a period, a, a, a gap year, like Thunderball was 65, and then there was a movie a couple of years after that. Um, but in 66, there was no Bond movie. So this would kind of fill in that oh gap. Oh, my gosh. This is brilliant. Six. This is brilliant. Yeah, I just thought that was that would be so fun. Um, like, why... Why wouldn't anybody want to read that? Okay, Um, I'm going to give fans hope a little bit here because just a little bit because correct me if I'm wrong here, but didn't Dynamite and DC do a Wonder Woman, Linda Carter version and Bionic Woman crossover recently? I believe they did, but they also did a Batman 66 Green Hornet crossover as well. See the there man. There's hope. I think. I think if we can get the Sean Connery uh, likeness, then then we're golden. But I don't think that that's on the table yet. And they already play nice together. This is brilliant. This has to happen now. Yeah. We'll I don't see. know what we have to do to make Just this happen. And, and by the way, if anybody happens to be listening at DC, th- remember whose idea this was and who you want to write this book too. By the way, just throwing it out there. I know you. Li- I know you listen. So I'm just throwing it out there. But until then, you can get Army of Darkness, Bubba Hotep number one, available now. Make sure you're picking this up because, again, whether you're a new, new reader or a classic fan, you're going to love it. 
and this guy too. It's Scott Duvall. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much, James. It's been a pleasure. Is it wrong that I'm still staggered by this whole Batman 66 James Bond revelation that we just talked about? I swear I'm not going to talk about how amazing of an idea this is again after now because it's going to drive me crazy until this happens now. But until then, we've got the Army of Darkness Bubba Hobetep crossover first issue available now from Dynamite Comics. Thanks so much to writer Scott Duvall for joining me to talk about that this week. Man, if you love these properties at all, you're going to have a freaking blast with this book, so make sure you're going to grab it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you want more from us, you can always find it at downandnerdypodcast.com. Get caught up on some past shows. Not only that, I mean... We've got other stuff. We've got more reviews on the website of TV and comics and a whole bunch of different stuff. Some nerd news up there as well. You can also find us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.